0: Hex Noir presents Black Moon Cataclysm Chapter 2 Death and ruin roiled in the cityscape of Fellhaven, and above, past the clouds, where the air grew too thin for any human lung, there hovered a black and eldritch moon. Its insides churned with intent as the moon began slowly orbiting the planet. All around it, an ethereal golden weave of light unraveled and dissipated. A spell that had been woven through much blood, sweat, and tears was now undone four and a half centuries later through tragedy, destruction, and even more blood. But as this Ancient spell became undone, and the celestial latticework that had encased the planet dissipated. Old currents began to flow back to it. Currents of arcane, divine, occult, and primal energies that had been kept at bay by the natural order. The golden weave disappeared from sight, never to be seen again by human eyes. And as it did, these invisible energies flowed over the planet once more, bathing it in their imperceptible colors. It was as if a creature that had been suffocated and bound down for ages was, at long last, released and allowed to breathe again. And breathe deeply, the world did, as the fabric of reality shuddered and shifted ever so imperceptibly. The veil between worlds rippled and writhed and tore in places. To one whose eyes could pierce the innumerable layers of reality to see beyond normal sight, the planet in this moment looked as if it had been splashed with paint of every color imaginable. And all the while the eldritch moon responsible for this unraveling quietly orbited the planet in its upper stratosphere. As the unseen wave of supernatural energy rolled over the world, Numerous things awakened for the first time in ages. In the jungles of Aurakthun, ancient structures began to glow with teal-blue light. Long-forgotten runes manifested where they had not been before, and the growth of the surrounding flora accelerated exponentially until the jungle became a tightly knotted natural maze of hidden dangers. The residents of numerous mountainous villages in the Rinwald peninsula suddenly began manifesting uncontrollable elemental powers when ancient statues that they had always lived in the proximity of suddenly came to life and pulsed with primal energies. Recorded words of long dead languages that had been safely spoken through rituals and traditions suddenly began manifesting arcane effects, as if the very vowels and consonants now commanded ancient and unknown power. A cleric's heartfelt prayers for a dying friend now, to everyone's surprise, conjured golden healing light that eased pain and healed wounds and the followers of otherworldly entities both divine and occult for the first time ever found their attempts at communication suddenly connecting to willing recipients recipients who had been attempting to communicate for centuries but to no avail all over the world various artifacts preserved and collected from more uncivilized times began thrumming with energy as long dormant magical effects and traits at long last awoke. In a matter of moments, the world was plunged unwillingly into a tumultuous spiral of change as long-forgotten magic seeped back into existence. And so the established order of the world was thrown into terrible upheaval, and chaos and uncertainty engulfed the planet. December 3rd, 1861. A night of overcast clouds blanketed the city of Elysium, capital of the holy empire of Arbrand. Its denizens were restless with either strange dreams or newfound aspirations at the sudden change that had engulfed the world. Meanwhile, the long and empty corridors of the inner sanctum of the Reliquaris echoed with the footsteps of Father Bournier. His rapid footfalls matched the frantic beating of his heart. His mind was wrought with uncertainty and fear. Fear of the future. Fear of the present. And fear of the strange message he had received from Vicar Emil. His journey took him to the vicar's personal quarters where the faithful guards stood watch. They let him pass without harassment and he entered into the interior where he was met with a number of the faith's most influential figures, including Vicar Emil. Father, thank you for coming at such a late hour. <clears throat> Think none of it, replied Bournier, although his troubled expression didn't leave him. What, uh, what is this about? The vicar gave him an excited smile before leading him into one of the guest rooms of his abode. There... He found the gaunt and distressed figure of Mother Morana lying in a bed. Her hands and feet were bound and a couple of the Divine Sisters intended to her, wiping away the copious amount of sweat that her body was drenched in. Mother Morana did not acknowledge the two men as they entered. Instead, her eyes remained fixed to the ceiling with an expression of abject terror. And all the while, she muttered to herself. It was only now that Father Bornier noticed a man sitting at the foot of the bed, frantically writing down everything she said. What happened? asked Bournier. A miracle, answered the vicar. This started early yesterday morning, and she has not stopped since. Has she been... Possessed? near suggested it, but he didn't believe it himself. In all his life, he had never encountered a genuine possession, nor had he ever experienced a true miracle. Those were just things that the Church of the Holy Trinity used to control the masses. No, said the vicar with a smile. She's receiving the divine word. Father Bornier scoffed at first, but when he observed Vicar Emile's continued smile, he grew unsure of himself. Are you sure it's genuine? He asked, knowing the church's wary stance on divine communication. According to their records, no genuine communication to their trio of gods had occurred in almost 500 years, and the last time someone claimed to speak directly to the gods They then used the power it afforded them to almost destroy the church. The great betrayal still had all but crippled their religious institution, making it a shadow of its former self. We've carefully inspected the validity of her phenomenon and have reached the conclusion that it is 100% genuine, the vicar explained. Father Borneir now stared at the distressed woman that lay bound to the bed. Her body convulsed and spasmed every time she spoke as if something was forcing the words through her vocal cords and out of her mouth. What does this mean? Borneir found himself asking. It means the miracles are once again possible, said Vicar Emile gleefully. It means the gods are speaking to us once again. And there are reports coming in that faithful all over the world have been channeling divine miracles through their prayers, healing the sick and the wounded. The faith has substance again, at long last. We stand at the precipice of a new dawn for our church and if we capitalize on this moment, this opportunity we can finally reclaim what we lost so long ago. Father Bournier's eyes remained fixed on Mother Morana, incapable of looking away from the sight of divine intervention, unwilling to look away from the potential that this now offered them. At long last, he finally met Vicar Emile's gaze with an expression of determination. What do you need me to do?" On the windy and weathered rocks of Oakland's northern shore, a woman stood on the precipice of a cliff. Below her, the waves crashed tirelessly against the rock, but the rock did not yield. Much like her and her compatriots, standing resolute and stoic against centuries of persecution and bigotry. But no more. The woman smiled as she made bluish wisps of arcane energy dance around her fingers, something that she had not been able to do only a couple of days ago. But now, everything had changed. She looked up, however, and her smile soon faded as she saw the dark celestial sphere lazily drifting across the heavens. That eldritch moon had completely upturned and unraveled the natural order, but they had no idea where it came from. Lady Wormwood, she heard a voice say behind her. She turned around to find her apprentice, Mika, standing there. They've arrived. Lady Adora Wormwood smiled and nodded. Then we shall not keep them waiting. She then followed her apprentice to a nearby rock and soon they passed through a hidden entrance to an underground structure that had been built centuries ago. There, they found the interior bustling with numerous members of the Order Arcanum, each attending to newfound duties with great excitement, for there was much to be excited about. Only a couple of days ago, their order was merely symbolic scribes and historians determined to preserve and protect the secret history and knowledge of the world from being burned by the witch hunters of the church mages and possessors of arcane knowledge in name only for all their recorded spells and rituals were and had been for the past few centuries completely useless in fact Adora's own apprentice had been destined to learn and preserve knowledge that was functionally useless. But no more. For now, ever since the Black Moon unraveled the natural order, their knowledge of magic had finally, finally become useful. And this meant that their place in the world had greatly shifted. Which was why the elder Moot was being called... And the fact that various leaders of the Order managed to travel halfway across the globe so fast only further solidified Adora's excitement for the time to come. She and Mika entered an ancient cylindrical hall that was lined with numerous seats, seats that had never been truly filled. Until now. Now they were occupied by historians, archivists, and apprentices, of the arcane arts. Even the so-called masters of the Order, and that included Odora herself, were now finally mastering the knowledge they had been recording and memorizing for so long. Finally, learning the intricate art of spellcraft. The droning chatter of the crowd quieted down as Lady Wormwood approached the center of the hall. There she took her position at the central podium and regarded both the guests and regular residents at this secret enclave. ''Friends,'' she announced, ''Colleagues, for too long we have cowered in the shadows, stripped of the arcane arts of our predecessors, fearful of the ever-looming threat of witch-hunters. For too long we have had to shamefully protect that which we deem most important in this world.'' But thanks to our hard work and diligence, the arcane arts have survived into this new age of enlightenment." "'But what of the church?' Sir Edmund Strom asked over the crowd. "'We've had reports of miracles being performed, and it seems that, that the church has been sending representatives to every corner of the world. We all know what they're hoping to incite.' "'Another witch hunt,' said Lady Fiona Helgist. "'If they'd have their way, this would be the dawn of another dark age.' And we should not let them, proclaimed Lady Adora Wormwood. This is our world as well, and we belong here too. However, the world has hated and feared us for a very long time. If we brute force our way back into relevance, then we will only meet the same fate as our predecessors and the Hilda of old. So what do you suggest? a voice asked from the crowd. Adora smiled. I suggest a more subtle approach. Night fell on the wounded city of Fellhaven. Gentle rain trickled down from the darkened sky above, and in the distance screams and gunfire could be heard. Well, most would naturally assume that after the tragedy the city's denizens had just suffered through, now would be the time for healing and recovery. But that had not happened. Instead, the government had tried to quarantine the impact crater in Blackstone and silence any who dared speak of what had happened, which had only led people to fighting back against this oppression, and now a small civil war was being fought in the streets. Meanwhile, in the northern part of the district of Wolverham, three traumatized children took refuge in an abandoned apartment. The oldest boy now stood watch over the door, holding a jacket and blood-stained cleaver in his hand, a magical tool fueled by blood that had, oddly enough, been active since before the Black Moon Cataclysm. Lying on a dirty mattress next to him, there lay a girl with bloodied bandages over her eyes. Her skin and hair were pearly white and her arms and face were severely deformed. There she lay holding on to a sleeping eight-year-old girl, yet another child orphaned by the cataclysm. What do we do now? asked the alabaster girl without sitting up. Her eyes had been lost in horrific events the night prior to the cataclysm, but due to her unnaturally altered body, she could sense the blood and heartbeats of everyone within a 20 meter radius. The boy turned to look at her. He was saddened by what he saw. Their ordeals had not only taken a physical toll on them, but a psychological one as well and the young child in her arms was not the only one who had lost family that day. I don't know, he replied softly. There's talk of uprising. There might be a full-scale war upon the city soon enough. The girl remained quiet for a moment. I think the whole world will see its fair share of war soon. The boy looked at her, confused. Had she gleaned some other eldritch knowledge when they had stepped beyond the borders of this world? Or did she see far more now that her eyes had been taken from her? You can feel it, right? She asked. Something has changed in the world around us. Everything has a hum to it, like your cleaver. The boy couldn't sense any of it. He couldn't feel what she felt. Everything's going to be alright, he said to reassure her. There was a quiet moment between them before the girl spoke once more. No, it won't. As they waited out the night in this derelict apartment, the young child dreamt of voices whispering to her whispering sweet comforts and enticing her with wonderful secrets that she, and only she, was privy to. Far up among the northern highlands of Falstad, far, far from the horrors and tragedies of Fellhaven. The wind howled across the plains, gently swaying the grass, moss, and the occasional shrub. It was almost unnoticeable at first, but soon the ground shifted around a rock that had rested there for as long as anyone could remember. The dirt and grass parted, and the rock cracked and crumbled as a figure sat up, half buried in the ground. It blinked its large eyes, scratched its elongated nose and was surprised to find the landscape around it had changed from when it had last seen it. And then the creature looked up at the dancing cold blue and green lights of arcane energy that gently swayed and moved in the sky. And it smiled. It had been asleep for a very, very long time. But now was the time of awakenings of chapter 2.